This episode of Masters of the Cinematic Universe is brought to you by Mo DeWitt and DeWitt Law Firm. Maybe you get in an accident chasing down a homicidal liquid metal machine from the future, or a time-traveling car sends you skidding into a truck full of manure. Perhaps a homicidal child cracks your skull open with a paint can this holiday season. Mo understands that every case is unique. If you're injured on the go, just call Mo. What's up, guys? Welcome to tonight's Masterclass episode of Masters of the Cinematic Universe Reviews the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> yes, that's a long title. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> it is. Um, tonight, uh, continuing in our series that we've been doing so far, uh, we're still in the first phase here before we get to Avengers 1. Um, I know there's like rules to the phases, but I'm just going to consider for us, our purposes, that the phases each end at a big team-up movie. <laughs> like, that makes sense. Um, so, for us, our phase one's going to end with Avengers, the first Avengers, just Avengers. Like, it doesn't have, like, any kind of cool, like, tagline name after it. It's just Avengers. <laughs> right. That's all you need. Um, but tonight, <laughs> we're specifically talking about the first Avenger. Yes. Who is the first Avenger? Like hmm. Lieutenant Iowa, Iowa. I don't know. Yeah, what his name? Lieutenant Iowa would be the best comic <laughs> ever, man. Holy shit! I, I, I thought his name was like Captain Brooklyn or some shit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, it's Captain America, my favorite Avenger. Yeah. Wow, that that drew some silence. What the fuck? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, Captain America is kind of like the Cyclops of the Avengers. <laughs> oh, poor Cap. No, I just. Okay, I, I mean, well, yeah. think about the, the the similarities. They both are like kind of like the ups tight, you know, hard laced, um, do gooder guy. You know, they follow the rules. They don't really want to like cause too many problems. Well, Cap Captain America was that way for the majority of his fictional existence. Yeah. But I will give credit to Marvel and the MCU. Eventually, we'll we'll get there. Um. They they gave him a little bit more dimension. Like he's yeah. not a yeah. yes man all of the time. Right. He does. Yeah, he does open up. But you know, he he's also the guy that goes language. Sure, <laughs> but I love that. Yeah, he's wholesome. Yeah. I mean, listen for me. He's the old guy, right? I don't come from a comic book background, so my my exposure is these movies, and I just immediately connected with him because the you know, obviously you know. I know him all. We talk about my old, and but I wasn't I wasn't around in World War Two. But I, I still I'm I'm connected to the whole this movie because it's it's you know it predates me, but it's the old part, and you know so I had an instant connection with him and his character. But he's not the oldest Avenger, not even close. Well, no, I understand that Thor understand is way that. fucking older than him. Yes, he is. <laughs> he absolutely is. But you know he's the first Avenger, and. Yeah. For me, he's the first, he's a human, so he's the oldest human Avenger. Okay, oldest human. All right, I'll 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 clarify that. So he's not an yeah. Asgard, <laughs> right? 
So yeah, it's just a connection for me. So I mean, is it? I you know, I don't have a hundred reasons why, and and I I dig all of them. But you know, he's just my guy. You know, it's a man man out of time. It's a yeah. compelling story. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? To be honest, there's a parallel because I'm the old man out of time with all you youngins. So. Yeah, and you're keeping <laughs> us all in check. Exactly. So you know, this sort of relation. You know, I'm fat and out of shape. But yeah, <laughs> it's still there in spirit. Like, I'm very you're muscular. Like crap, crap ton, America. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, Did you so just that's say where I, that's where crap I'm ton America. That's yeah. fucked up, man. <laughs> like Jeez. it's a crap ton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we can't hate on Cap. We got to love Cap. You know, he nah, kept he, everyone together. He does. He has his place. So I, I yeah. can't, I can't shit on him. He does exactly. have his place in in the movies. Um, I wonder, like, for me though, like, if if Marvel didn't have the legality of like this person owns this person and this person owns this person. They could have just started fresh with everybody from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. I wonder if like it would have changed our favorite, our favorites a lot. Probably. Well, probably not Eric because you know, he's comic book purist. So he already had that in his, in his canon. But for us, like, and see, I, I grew up with Marvel cards. So it's, it's weird. Like I was never like the comic book guy, but I was the card guy. Yeah. Yeah, I, but I, I, look, I look at it like this with the MCU. I think they're better for it, for not having access to their premiere stuff, because they really had to get creative with storytelling yeah. to get right. you interested in, in mm-hmm. some of these lower tier characters. So I think, you know, it's like it's like they're in the gym working really hard to develop these <laughs> muscles. And, you know, now we're in a place where it paid off and they, they do have yeah, access well, to those characters. Right now, the MCU just got shot up with super soldier serum. You yeah, know, they were yeah. already jumping on the grenade. Now they're about to fucking, like, <laughs> exactly. get the soldiers, exactly. get the serum in there. See, because exactly. it's weird because, like, we've, we've talked about this multiple times, but, like, these are like, a lot of these guys are, like, B-list, like, B-list actors and, like, not, like, the actors who are playing them, but, like, in the Marvel Universe, like, these characters would be B-list characters. They're not, like, the A-list characters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because again, you know, Marvel, they were in a bad way for a, a long time. And yeah. I was reading about that deal they did with Sony in the 80s for Spider-Man. They offered all the Marvel characters to Sony. And Sony literally said, just do good. Spider-Man because no one gives a fuck about any of these other characters. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, if if we just like, if you were to guess like the most popular Marvel characters, like not today after MCU, but just from like before like movies were getting getting started. I'd probably Spider Man was up there with like one of the most popular Marvel characters. Um, I'd definitely put him in that that group class one type thing. Oh yeah. Um, um, maybe even the Hulk, which is really weird because he, he kind of like doesn't do much of anything except smash it. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. You know. Uh, the X-Men, of course, have always been popular. Uh, they were they were always seen, like... But it's weird, because there's so many different iterations of the X-Men. Like, yeah, I there's think, not just, like... I think 90s X-Men really skyrocketed their popularity. Yeah, which yeah. is why I get pissed off when Gambit's not involved in anything, because he was definitely <laughs> 90s X-Men. Um, but but Ca- Captain America was always popular, but never yeah. popular. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, he was always, yeah. like, big, but people just, like, fuck this guy. Right. <laughs> um, also, Fantastic Four, I think, were always at the top of, like, popularity. They were big. Yeah. Yep. Um, anyone else you could think of, Eric, that should be in that tier one of, like, the Marvel characters back in that time? Well, you, you got to remember, you're starting from the 60s. Spider-Man was huge. 
Fantastic Four was huge. Um, the X-Men in the beginning were not huge because they were really just an allegory for racism and yeah. like homophobia and stuff that people were still wrestling with. And, it, it, you know, in a way we're like, oh, we don't want that in our fiction yet. So, right. um, but then the what, 80s hit. <laughs> the 80s hit, man, and stuff like Punisher and Ghost Rider and Blade. Uh, I, yeah, I almost read about Punisher and Ghost Rider. They were big names, too. Yeah, when you got, you wanted some edge to your kitty books. That's yeah. when those became <laughs> real popular. And the 90s was all about X-Men. X-Men was huge, huge, huge in the 90s. Um, and again, Marvel, the MCU, no X-Men, no Spider-Man, no Fantastic Four, um, and no Hulk. Until you know, well, I mean, the disaster. There was the Hulk, league. but we yeah. we don't we don't talk about that. No, nope. we don't talk about Bruno. We no, don't no, talk about Bruno. we don't no, talk no, about no. Eric Banner. <laughs> no, we don't talk about Norton. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, not that one. We certainly don't talk about the first fucking one. Oof, those dogs. Ah oh, man, Ang Lee, such a but, good director, and so tragically wrong with that. But anyway, yeah. but yeah. Captain America, you know. Uh, Again, they had the rights to it, but it was like, fuck, what do we do with this? They tried making Captain America movies in the 80s and 90s, and they yeah. were stink fasts, man. Oh, man. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. So. All right, we're well, going to get into this, boys. Let's, let's talk do about it. This, this actual movie. All right. So we're going to run through. We're going to hit scene by scene. We're going to do it quick. Um, we start off in what we assume is present day, uh, somewhere in the frozen tundra up north somewhere. Later on, when maps are shown, I can kind of figure it out. But anyway, uh, we got a scientist who meets up with two military types. Um, he leads them to an excavation site where there's a, a partial, you know, aircraft sticking out of the ice. It's giant, you know, um, it's sticking out. So the team cuts through the fuselage. They get inside, and um, almost immediately, one of them notices um, frozen in ice a red, white, and blue shield. You know, which we will well. Those with the comics know what it is, but and we all know what it is, but you know they'll reveal it in a little bit. Um, the lieutenant among the crew, he already knows. You can tell by his comment. He knows who's there, um, and that's who they were specifically looking for. And, again, we'll get to that in a minute. So um, We now jump to uh, Tonsberg, Norway in 1942, uh, where most of this movie takes place. There's two dudes in a, in a, in a Viking crypt, or, you know, um, and they are basically the caretakers of this crypt. Um, their town is currently, they're inside the crypt. The town's being overrun by the Nazis. Um, so as they're talking, the front door of this tomb crypt building blasts open. Um, one of the caretakers is killed. And a bunch of Nazi soldiers pour in. But we also see, we get a first flash of our, of our Hydra symbol. We don't quite, it hasn't been identified yet, but we know they're not just, you know, typical Nazis as bad as they are. They start opening up different crypts and different uh, sarcophagus within the tomb. Um, and at that point, there's a dark figure that appears uh, through the opening. And we learned that it's uh, Johann Schmidt. He's played by Hugo Weaving. He's fantastic in everything he does. Um, and he is a high-ranking Nazi and the leader of the Hydra Division. He confronts the remaining caretaker who is... Uh, you know, filch from <laughs> from Harry Potter, and he's <laughs> Walder Frey, and everything else that we've ever watched, yep. uh, Hot Fuzz, and all of it. I, I he's David he's, uh, Bradley. 
Yeah, he's in the strain, the David Bradley. He's in the strain. He, he's the, the doctor in the strain, the Lumen. Um, <laughs> Eric and I would walk through the house because we love that show, the Lumen. That is a great show. It is. It is a good show. It's a good vampire show. Corey Stahl got his, that was his sort of his yep. breakout. But anyway, I digress. Um, he is talking to uh, Schmidt, or Schmidt's talking to him. And he wants, Schmidt wants him to reveal the whereabouts of the item that he's looking for. Um he keeps asking where it is. The caretaker's not giving up any information. Uh, Schmidt threatens him with, uh, you know, violence against the caretaker's family. So he, he has no choice but to give it up. There's a secret little box in the wall. Um, it's on a carving of the world tree. Um, and he, uh, well, no, oh, God, I missed a whole bunch of shit, guys. Sorry. Take a <laughs> quick step back. Quick step back. Um, Schmidt opens a tomb very easily by the way, which is the first indication that he is not just human. Pushes the top of this, uh, this tomb off, um, and there's a Viking inside holding a, a crystal, uh, you know, a glass-like cube. Um, Schmidt immediately knows it's not real. He picks it up, he smashes it on the ground, and it's at this point he threatens the caretaker's family. Um, the caretaker points to uh, a, the wall, a big carving on the wall. Um, that is the world tree. It's uh, Teldrassil, you, you know, I don't know how exactly to pronounce it, but it's uh, the Norse, the mythic Norse world tree. Um, he opens this, uh, this secret compartment in the wall, and he finds what we learn is called the Tesseract. It's a blue glowing cube, uh, and it's what he's been looking for. It's right after this that he, you know, in typical Nazi fashion, orders the wiping out of the, the village anyway. Didn't matter. And then he shoots the caretaker. Um, we jump to Brooklyn, New York at the same time. We're at a uh, army recruiting station in Brooklyn, uh, and we meet our hero, or soon-to-be hero, Steve Rogers. He's played by Chris Evans. Um, it was polarizing when he was picked because he was already Johnny Flame, and I, even I, I remember saying, why did they pick him for this? Because he I was very one-dimensional. I Johnny gotta Storm. step all over you and say Johnny Storm. I this is oh all right no no, no I get, listen I deserve it that's cool all right it's, Johnny Flame is the hamburger restaurant of my guy Fieri. <laughs> oh okay whatever he's a, he he turns into a fucking fire I don't know <laughs> yes I, I I love being that insufferable comic book guy no I was gonna say it if you didn't say it listen <laughs> on like, topics that I am knowledgeable about, I'm the same fucking way so I get it and I deserve it um Johnny the, and Sue Storm brother yeah. and sister. There you go. So, so anyway, yeah. So Chris Evans is Steve Rogers. <laughs> At this point, though, he is like an early twenty-something, ninety-pound, five-foot guy. He's got asthma and a laundry list of ailments. Um, who, which the doctor that's examining him, um, you know, looks at this list. It's never-ending, high blood pressure and a bunch of other shit. Um, and he immediately stamps Steve's file. 4F, which means, you know, unfit for military service. So Steve is dejected, and we quickly learn that this is not his first time at the recruiting station because he's so hell-bent on serving his country and, and you know, taking care of things that he, he creates false names, and you know, he goes to different recruiting stations all over the states to try to get in. Um, yeah, let's just say there's no Army posters coming to live singing, I want you. Yeah, no, that's true. That didn't happen him. here. You know, they may sing to him in his head, but he does not reveal. Yeah. Um, so Steve is obviously devastated by this news, and to console himself, he heads to the movies. 
So back then, there was always a newsreel, especially during the war. There was always a newsreel that played before the, the feature that you went to see to give you updates on the war, you know, because TV wasn't available and all that shit. Um, while that's playing, there's a asshole in the crowd. He starts yelling, start the movie, and then pay to see this crap. And Steve, you know, multiple times tells him to shut up. Um, this all ends with Steve and the guy in the alley behind the theater um, the bully's beating the piss out of Steve because, again, he's 90 pounds and five foot tall. But yep. we quickly learn that he does not back down, okay? Um, he will not stop ever. He's like the Terminator of five foot asthmatics. Um, <laughs> and I won't back <laughs> Exactly. Um, so he, he, he continues to get a beating. And this is where we get, for me, one of the most iconic quotes in MCU universe. Um you know, the guy, the, the bully is, is shocked by his willingness to keep going, and he drops that immortal Captain America line, I can do this all day. Mm. And, you know, as I we can go do this all day. <laughs> <laughs> he breaks out into song and dances. Joe just described it. It's a wonderful scene. Um, it's iconic for Captain America. And as we go through these movies and we finish with Endgame, it, it's so significant in, in so many different moments in the mcu universe uh, in all it, through all the phases it's so cool to hear it the first time uh, it's at this moment that that his lifelong friend uh james bucky barnes played by sebastian stan um he shows up out of nowhere but you know he, he lives in the neighborhood too and he knows steve always gets in trouble he shows up in the alley and he he puts a quick beating on the bully who runs away because he knows that he's outmatched um bucky's wearing a uniform uh, so Steve's a little shocked at this. He knows he wanted to enlist, but, you know, Steve mentions that, uh, it, you know, he sees the uniform, and then um, Bucky mentions that he's been assigned to the 107th Infantry, which is the unit that, that uh, Steve wants to join because his dad was in it. Um, his dad died in World War One, So it, it's very important to him. Bucky got in. Um, to try to lift uh, Steve's spirits, Bucky invites him to go on a double date. Uh, and the four of them meet at the World Exposition, which is, you know, a, a pseudonym for the World's Fair. Yeah. Um, it's in Queens. It's got the same that same globe from Men in Black and the towers and everything in there. Um, it's a very cool mix of real 1942 and, like, pseudo-technology 1942, which I dig. You know, it, it, because it's a fictional universe, so they can do whatever the hell they want. And it's a cool blend. There's a, there's a tram running around and... Um, Steve is quickly caught. His, it catches his eye. Um, we're now going to meet Howard Stark, who yeah. also plays a, d a dominant role, a prominent role in the MCU as the dad of, um, you know, the other Stark, Tony. <laughs> um, he's played by Dominic Cooper, who I dig as an actor, and I was kind of upset that they moved away from him. I understand why, because they needed a more older, distinguished actor to play it. And uh, John Flannery, Flattery? Flattery. Uh, plays him in in subsequent movies and he does a great job but i yeah, think dominic cooper the problem with him is like i always think of sterling from Mad Men every time i see him no i know that you're right you're 100 percent right yeah he he's yeah. he's so linked to that i completely agree with you it's the same with john ham i love john yeah. ham, ham as an actor and he's tried so hard to separate himself but it's still difficult to let go completely yeah. um so yeah, Dominic Cooper he played he played Howard Stark in in the Agent Carter show, which I also dug. It was it was silly, dumb fun. Um, so I, I like him. He he's on stage. He's ends up being very unsuccessful in demonstrating his uh, his hover car of the future. You won't need wheels. 
Um, it crashes to the ground, and but he takes it in stride, and he goes, I told you it was a couple years out. Um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, Steve is distracted. He sees that, but he's also distracted because there is a recruiting station that's been set up at the exposition to try and get as many able-bodied men to join up. Um, he figures, why not the fifth time's a charm? Um, right before he goes in, Bucky catches up with him and, you know, teases him about who he's going to be this time to forge his, his application and reminds him that it's illegal and you can go to jail for it. Uh, we see a passerby walk, walk by, but he overhears this conversation. And uh, he is Dr. Abraham Erskine, uh, played by Stanley Tucci, another one of my favorite actors. Um, he's, he's, he's been some great movies. Oh, he, he's so versatile. You're right, Joe. I mean, he's so versatile. He's been in so many great things, right? Um, he, he's, you can see that he's intrigued and struck by, by Steve's passion for wanting to join up. So, you know, Bucky heads out with the girls. He's going to have a ton of fun, we can tell. And uh, Steve heads into the recruiting station. He ends up in the exam room, and the doctor tells him to wait a minute. Um, he starts getting nervous because there's a sign on the wall even reminded him that faking your application is, is illegal. Yeah. Um, and, then, and I yeah. love too. I love that they do that this early with this character because yeah. that to to show that he was willing to break the law to do what he considered to be the right thing is yeah. is such an important part of this character, but also yes. something that they it took them a long time to get there. You know what I mean? No, so. exactly, exactly. And you know we've 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 talked in the past about you know the traps of an origin story that movies fall into, and this does it. It does that similarly to other origin story movies but it did a good job you could see that they were setting up the long game even this early in phase one you know what i yeah. mean like they yeah. were planning ahead based exactly on what you said eric um the way they structured that whole thing and to to, to establish the dedication that this man has to his cause yep. um so an MP comes in, so he's even more convinced he's going to get busted. And then right after that, Dr. Erskine comes in. Um, he's got a record of every one of Steve's applications, so Steve's freaking out even more. Um, but then he starts describing, you know, he starts asking him, and do you, you know, he, he, he basically interviews Steve to understand what his motivation is. And he, he comes to learn that Steve's motivation has nothing to do with killing Nazis. Um, Steve even brings it up. He, he doesn't like bullies. He wants to, you know, defeat bullies regardless of where they come from. Um, so Erskine's won over by Steve's nature, and he tells Steve that he's in, which is his dream. All right? Yeah. And then he said he's going to go watch some Xena Warrior Princess on his 37-inch diagonal. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> that's good. Because like that. if not, you know, we might be in big trouble later. <laughs> oh, wow. Holy shit. You, you are amazing. I was trying to figure out how to do the Tucci joke in here. <laughs> I was are. like, well, there's got to be some way to tie in the Tucci joke. And you did it, man. You fight. Kudos to you, buddy. You're on, you're on point tonight. I love it. Um, this is my house. <laughs> <laughs> and just so you know, Joe, you might be one of the only people on the whole planet that can actually quote Big Trouble. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay? I remember it when you say it, but I, you yeah. know, I couldn't. I could She's do. trying to kill me. Herc, <laughs> Herc. Yeah. So at this point, we jump to uh, the Hydra base buried in the Alps. It's a hidden base that no one knows about. 
Um, Schmidt is there, and he brings the Tesseract to Dr. Armanzola, who's played by Toby Jones. He does a great job in all of his appearances. I love Toby Jones. Um, who's his chief weapons specialist? Um, the cube enables, the Tesseract enables Schmidt and Zola to, to create very powerful energy weapons, you know, tanks, guns, you know, um, yeah. suits of armor and everything. It's a, it's a very intimidating thing, and it's... Uh, it definitely gives what we feel at this point is the Nazi and, you know, Hydra's uh, cause a very big boost. It, it's scary. Um, we are uh, back in America where Steve is sent to basic training with a bunch of other guys. They're all candidates for the super soldier program. Um, it's being overseen by Dr. Erskine and Colonel Chester Phillips, uh, played by Tommy Lee Jones. What can you say about Tommy Lee? I, I mean, mean perfect in this role yeah i mean because it's him yeah like yeah it, it's him you know he he's not acting he is acting because he can he's a fantastic actor but that's tommy lee jones i mean you know he, he knows what he's he knows what he does um so he is obviously last in every physical endeavor that the the group of soldiers try whether it's climbing or running or anything um they are told that they're you know candidates for the super soldier program uh, Phillips is obviously very unimpressed with Steve because he's a military man to to the end. He he only looks on the surface of things and he completely he cannot understand uh, Doctor Erskine's choice in letting him in. Um, it's at this point that Steve meets uh, the female protagonist in this story, uh, Peggy Carter. She's a British agent for the SSR, right? Yes, um, who's there to also oversee the Super Soldier program? She's Played by Haley Atwell. Um, I'll be right up front and say I have such a crush on that lady. It's unbelievable. Um, since the first time I saw her. And, I, you know, anyway. Um, sorry. That's that's old man dirty, and I really shouldn't have said that. <laughs> well, I mean, she was born in the 1940s or 20s, too. So, I mean. Oh, that's true. Oh, <laughs> too fucking damn. funny. God just damn. Keep it in you know just keep it in, the, in character form. What I'm saying, what, when I said you were on point, you're too on point. Back off, buddy. <laughs> Drop it down a notch. No, I'm teasing. That was fucking funny. That was very funny. So, uh, yeah, so she, you know, she she's drawn to Steve, but, you know, in a trope that annoyed me a little bit, the interest wasn't there because he was the 90-pound weakling. Yeah. Um, it's, it's only when he very soon becomes, you know, Captain America that, it changes oh, from yeah. you know it, it you, bothers me when she grabs his titty that, yeah. I that. <laughs> exactly <laughs> because you know i was that guy back then who wasn't big and muscular and you know fuck that shit come and learn about me you know yeah once once i was in the age bracket where people could learn you know grasp my personality i became very popular you know <laughs> what i just want to know is because we watched Thor. I compared my, my upbringing to Thor. You compared Drew up to Captain America. I want to know when Eric was bit by a spider. That's true. Uh, yeah, you know what? And, I was and how much web do you shoot? And out of <laughs> what? Yeah, that's the question. Okay. I was uh, thrilled with uh, with Miles Morales because we got yeah. a, a Hispanic yeah. and black Brooklyn yep. Spider-Man. Oh, my God. I love that so much. When but are we I doing digress. Into the Spider-Verse, man? Because that's one of the oh, best Marvel movies ever. It really ever. is. It really is. That it's thing, really good. And you know, how, you know my feeling on animated movies and shows in general. That, that fucking captivated me from the opening scene and just grabbed me and held me the entire time. It Although, if you're so epileptic, cool. you probably don't want to watch that. Oh, no. That's true. <laughs> that's There's true. a lot going on there. There's a lot that going on there. Exactly. Fuck you up. 
Exactly. <laughs> so we get a quick scene of uh, the platoon running up a hill. They're told they get to a flagpole. They're they're told that you know the one who can get the flag from the pole gets to get a ride back to camp rather than running, you know, ha- the, the halfway back. Um, all the big muscle heads they try to j- climb the pole. It doesn't work. Um, the platoon sergeant lets them know that in 17 years no one's ever gotten the flag. Steve walks over. He pulls the pin. Flagpole drops. He gets the flag. Goes right in the car. Um, this impresses uh, Peggy very much. It reinforces Erskine's. Um, you know, uh, thoughts about Steve and even catches uh, Tommy Lee's, you know, Phillips, uh, you know, eye a little bit. Um, he's still he's still unconvinced, but it it it, it, it opened his eyes anyway. Um, during they're standing in formation, and Phillips then <laughs> he pulls a pin on a grenade and he tosses it into the to the group, and all of them run like scared little rabbits, except Steve, who huddles over the grenade to protect everybody else um, without even blinking. Yeah. This is when Phillips is kind of sold. Um, it was a dummy grenade, so nobody's, you know, blown up. Um, Phillips, you know, he then concedes that he understands Erskine's decision. So we've got a nice little scene at night between Erskine and, and, uh, and Steve in the barracks. Um, he's got a bottle of schnapps and Erskine is sorting – sort of preparing Steve for what's to come, the, this this treatment that he's going to go through to become the super soldier. Um, he, he remembers that Steve can't drink because he's got a medical procedure in the morning, so he proceeds to drink all the schnapps himself. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a really fun and human exchange where they, they definitely bond, you know, almost sort of like a, you know, a father-son conversation. It, it, was, it was well done to me. Um, you know, so... Uh, he describes the fact that he he's done this previously in Germany, but it didn't go so well. And he and he mentions Schmidt, and uh, and then we you know, the, Schmidt's easy ability to uncover that tomb is revealed because he he's a super soldier that's gone bad. Um, and Erskine describes the fact that the super soldier serum doesn't just increase um, physical attributes; it amplifies um, you know emotional attributes. So. You know, Schmidt was an asshole. Now he's a goddamn superhero asshole. <laughs> Whereas that's why they're picking Steve because Steve is like pure and good and and has completely you know above board intentions. Yeah, um, and he's been he weak. Was a, a his, super shizer. Super shizer. Steve. <laughs> Steve's been a weakling his his entire life. So you know that that's such a beautiful notion that he wouldn't lose respect for the the strength he gets. Yes, exactly. It wouldn't influence him. It wouldn't yeah. it wouldn't change him. Um Yeah. You know, it's it's yeah, it's a very cool analogy. Um So the next morning, uh Stephen Peggy are in a car. They're they're driving through Brooklyn. Um No. Sleep to Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And they stop in front of an old antique shop. Um, Steve's a little confused and, you know, he's pointing out, <laughs> it's funny. It's a funny exchange because he points out different alleys and streets that he got his shit kicked out of them, <laughs> like yeah. three or four different places where he got his ass kicked, uh, through Brooklyn. So, um, they get to the antique shop. We see, a a couple of, you know, shady characters out in front of the antique shop, eyeing them up. Um, cause when they get inside, uh, we see that it's a front for, you know, the place where they're going to perform the procedure for the super soldier. 
they've got to give passwords and everything to get in. They go down in the basement, um, and they see the full medical facility. Going back to the strain, it reminded me of the pawn shop that he had in the strain. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Very true. Um, so they get into the middle of the bunker, and he sees, Steve sees Dr. Erskine. He's preparing a medical, you know, just preparing medical stuff. Howard Stark is there, and Colonel Phillips is there as well. Um, you know, he's uh, greeting all the senators and dignitaries that come in. Um, Steve is told to remove his shirt. Uh, I don't know why they took they didn't tell him to take his pants off. Well, I know why, because it's Marvel and Disney, but, you know, yeah. it's right, Steve, like the Hulk. Need a, we're going to need you to pull your dick out, Steve. Yeah, exactly, but it's like the Hulk, man. The pants are going to get ripped, but they didn't do it in this case. So. That's the only part of you that's not going to get super. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would, that would, that's, counter, that's counterintuitive, you know? It would make me sad as a large man to not have that, too. Um. It's a Erskine good analogy exp- for America, though. Yeah, that's very yeah, true. Right? That's Compensating very for something. Nice, nice. Um, Erskine explains what's going to take place. They have Steve climb into this fucking capsule uh, where he is injected with some muscle-altering you know, uh, ingredients through a bunch of friggin' um, needles that, that uh, Phillips previously commented are big enough to go through his whole arm because he's small <laughs> and it's, it's not wrong. Um the the capsule closes and they now expose Steve to a ton a shit ton of vita rays whatever vita rays. I don't know if they're real or not but that's what they call them vita rays uh, the capsule starts glowing Steve yells in pain they're ready to shut it down but he tells them no so he's ready to do it they crank it up to a hundred percent and you know he, um, he the the procedure's finished the doors open and we see Steve Rogers Captain America and all his you know Naked from the waist up, muscled glory. Um, you know, it's a cool shot. So uh, he grows taller. He gains a bunch of weight. All his sickness goes away. Um, it's nuts. We, we still don't know the extent of his super soldier level, but we're going to learn very quickly. Um, everybody's happy about it. All the dignitaries are, are, are celebrating. And we see a lone, a lone guy from the State Department. He claims he is from... Uh, he stays behind for the for the viewing theater, and he leaves a, a case on on a chair in there. So we know he's up to no good. Um, he comes down, and he presses a button, and um, the viewing theater explodes. It's at that point he pulls out a gun. Um, he's, his goal is to get one of the serum uh, capsules. So he shoots doc, Dr. Erskine. Uh, he kills some guards, and he takes off into the street with Peggy chasing him. Um, Steve holds Dr. Erskine as he dies, who just points to Steve's chest to say, you know, what's in your heart needs to stay in your heart. And, you know, that's why he picked him. Um, Steve flies out of the, um, the bunker in pursuit, in pursuit of Kruger, the spy. Um, this is where, you know, when they get out into the street after some shooting, Peggy does a, she's a crack shot, we see. Um, Steve runs past her, and we can see that he's running at super speed already. He doesn't even know the abilities he has, but he's just running, and he's keeping up with the cars. He chases the taxi that was commandeered by Kruger. Um, he's jumping over things. He's jumping on the cars and, and, you know, everything that Captain America can do, but he's still learning it as it happens. Um, they crash. Kruger shoots at Steve, and it's really cool because it's the first symbol of what's to come. He picks up the door of the capsule, uh, the, the taxi, and there's a star on the taxi. So it's like he uses yeah. the door as a shield. And 
there's a star on it. So, you know, that's his first reveal as Captain America, so to speak. Um, so he, uh, Kruger flees. He's, he's trying to get to a sub that he's gotten in the harbor to get out. Um, Kruger first kidnaps a kid, um, threatens to shoot him, but, you know, runs out of bullets. Um, the kid is okay. It's a, it's a stupid little scene. Kruger throws the kid in the water, and Steve runs to save him, and the kid's like, don't worry, I can swim. Go get him. Yeah. <laughs> snot nose. Shut the fuck up. Um, so he runs, and, uh, you know, uh, Kruger makes it to the sub uh, and starts to dive, but Steve can swim really fast too. So he catches up with the sub, and he punches a hole in, in the cockpit window, and, you know, he's able to grab Kruger. Um, he throws him up on the dock, which is great. So he tosses him out of the water right up on the dock. And he starts to question him, but Kruger has a, you know, the typical spy, the evil spy fake tooth in his mouth that has cyanide or whatever it is, and he bites it. And, you know, he dies, but, but not before he can, you know, remind or let Steve know about Hydra. You know, he cut off one head to grow in its place. It would it'd be terrible to be a fucking, like, an old-timey spy, and you're just eating a Big Mac, and you forget that thing's yeah, in there. right? Exactly. Oh, shit. No, no, no. Exactly, you know? And you know what? Honestly, in real life, it can't be that easy to pop the fake tooth <laughs> out. And it just can't be. But it's always so smooth for these guys. Um, you know? And how that do was, they practice? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. That was that was my big beef with 24, right? So, so Kiefer Sutherland's, like, character, he would always catch the bad guy, and he would yell, tell me what I want to know, tell me what I want to know, and the guy would die before you tell him anything. And it happened every fucking episode till I finally stopped watching it after a season and a half because it was so fucking stupid. The guy would chew a capsule or just die some other way. Um, and he says Hail Hydra, uh, which is also a common theme that we're going to hear in the subsequent mm. movies. Um, so we are back at the secret base in the Alps, and Schmidt and Dr. Zola are uh, visited by a trio of Hitler's top generals. They want to check on the... They're very skeptical of Schmidt's ideas and, and, and projects, and they want to check on his uh, progress. Um, they, they basically like, you know, the movie we just did, you know, The Death of Stalin, where the crew just bust... The, he bu they all bust his balls. <laughs> Not as comedically, but, you know, they have no faith in him at all. Um, so he... Uh, he... <laughs> he sets up the guns, he gets everything going, and he turns the friggin' big cannon around, and he, he obliterates all three guys. And there's a scary gun, because one shot, and they disappear. Like, there's not even a pile of ash on the floor. They're fucking gone, all right? Which is scary, because they're going to use these weapons against the American troops and the Allied troops. So it, it's, it's kind of fucking crazy. Um, so he... He re is this where he reveals himself as the Red Skull? Yeah, he he kind of uses that opportunity to say like, "Hey, we're we're seceding from the Third Reich because right. uh, exactly, you know, the Hydra is is going to grow far more powerful than anything yeah. Hitler could do." Yeah, and yeah, he he's uh, yeah, full on Red Skull. Like, what a yeah, what a cool makeup job. Oh, it's a great reveal. Yes, exactly, fantastic makeup. Um. So, yeah, he reveals the Red Skull. He pulls off his, his, basically his mask, and he is a fucking Red Skull. There's no other way to put it. It's perfectly, <laughs> he's perfectly named. He looks like a skull. He has no nose. He's got holes in his, you know, where the nose is. And he's a skull, but he's red. Um, it's very cool. Even Zola, who sort of knows what he is, is like fucking re uh, taken aback and repulsed by it. It's kind of scary. Um, 
I first like this scene made me kind of want like to see him start start, start going like ack, 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 ack. <laughs> <laughs> He does kind of look like that. That's true. Well, plus, he brain. vaporizes some of the fucking people in the room. It's the same <laughs> shot. You're absolutely right. It is. Yeah. Except there's no skeletons left. There's nothing left. But yeah, it's it's a similar it's a similar technique. Um. So yeah, as Eric described, he he announces that Hydra is uh, ready to take things over. Um, we're now back at the lab where uh, Phillips and Peggy are, you know, they're cleaning up. They're, they're taking care of Dr. Erskine's body, and they're very dejected um, because they, they let it out, and they have to as part of the exposition that he, Erskine was the only guy to make this serum, and they don't have any of it. So Phillips is very disappointed because he expected an army of super soldiers, and now he's got one. Because he's still, he's still got a fucking hard on for Steve. Like, he doesn't like him. Even now that he's a super soldier, he's like, he just, he, he fucking minimalizes Steve's, you know, ability to contribute to this war. So he's fucking devastating. He's more worried about that than Erskine dying, you know, the actual death of Erskine. Um, so, uh, yeah, Steve, Steve, there's a senator that, you know, as Steve gets dismissed by Phillips, the senator runs up with a newspaper talking about the whole scene at the harbor. And he realizes in his fucking senator, you know, rat thinking, <laughs> just subhuman political thinking that Steve would be a great, a great, um, you know, promotional device to sell war bonds and get people really motivated about, you know, contributing to the war. Um, which, of course, is a complete waste of Steve's talents. Steve kind of, he, he agrees but not agrees, but he, he, he goes along with it. Um, so, you know, Steve is enlisted the USO, which is the United Service organizations that, you know, help the military and, and families of the military. It's a real organization, very cool people. Um, so he starts traveling and doing these frigging, like, shows, these, you know, Broadway level shows with dancing girls and and stuff and uh, you know he, there's a point where he punches Hitler in every friggin' performance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like now this badly. is this is where this movie gets super meta and super. I mean that was a real thing. Like yeah. they really did use Captain America to sell war bonds in in World yeah. War Two. Right, right. And that famous comic book cover of him punching Adolf Hitler. Yes. Just, to see that was so cool, man. Yes, it it, it is neat because I mean I know that from the meme that everybody uses uh, of that you know the screenshot yep. of the comic, but yeah, yeah it, it, it's very cool the way they do that. Uh, so it's at this point where he takes on the name Captain America. So he, he technically becomes Captain America. They're using that name to sell the war bonds and promote the you know the support for the war. Um, so. You know, and they, it's just a repeat, a repeat, a repeat of performances in different cities in the United States. Um, so he is now brought overseas where he continues the performances, but he's brought in to perform for the troops who don't know who he is. They have zero respect for him because he's not fighting like they are. And, you know, he ends up getting tomatoes and shit thrown at him. Um, it, it doesn't go well. He's very dejected. Um he is met by Peggy, who's now there with Phillips. They're overseeing the European theater. Um, she tells him that the men are unhappy because many of them in their division, the 107th, have been killed in a battle, killed or captured in the battle. Um, Steve runs to Phillips to find out if his, his dear friend Bucky is, is among the dead. Uh, again, Phillips cares so little about Steve that he's you know he's right he's writing the condolence letters and yeah i think i remember his name he, he's gone 
you know, like just dismisses him with it, you know. And Steve is devastated with this, but this forces him into action now. He's done with his this bond selling shit, um, and he's gonna he's gonna go to the base where these guys are being held, and he's gonna rescue them, you know, with with Bucky or not. Like he he's thinking he's dead, but he's gonna save his his compatriots. So. Um, they quickly concoct a plan uh, with, with Peggy. Um, she shows them where it is. It's a known hydro weapons factory. Uh, it's 30 miles behind enemy lines, but none of this deters Steve. Um, he gets dressed in an actual uniform with the Captain America uniform underneath, but he's you know he's got the helmet. He's got everything now. He's fully equipped with a with a, a pseudo Captain America shield. Like it, it's still a wooden shield at this point, right? Am I right about that? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. like that it's sort of metal. triangular yeah. metal. Yeah, it's metal, but it's not bullet-stopping metal. It's like his his prop. And I, yeah. and I love the justification for the A on his head was that the girls were wearing helmets that said U, S, and A, and that's yes. just the one he grabbed. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So even that comes from a, a campy marketing place, you know what I mean? Yeah. But he's now taking that and running with it. So, um yeah, so he he steals a jeep and they, he's he's going to drive to Hydra's Hydra's place. But um, you know, Peggy has a better idea. She recruits Howard, who's you know we know him from the future movies, but even now he's he he loves going against authority. He's certainly you know Tony is certainly his son because Howard does what he wants when he wants. He's good at a lot of shit, and you know so he he definitely Tony is definitely his son. Um, we come to learn in in the movies um he's an expert pilot so they get him in a plane him peggy and steve uh and they fly they're gonna steve's gonna airdrop in uh closer to the the uh the encampment where the prisoner is being held um there's some flirting going on it's kind of weird and awkward because steve is not very well practiced in flirting uh <laughs> So, you know, he's, he's just bad at it. But there's definitely a connection. We first see the, the beginnings of a romantic connection between Peggy and Steve. Um, just then, the uh, anti-aircraft guns start firing. And Steve, in order to protect Peggy and Howard, he immediately jumps out of the plane and tells them to get to safety rather than getting closer. He'll deal with that, you know, himself. Um, so he, he, he makes his way towards the base. Um, he's beating the shit out of everybody he sees, which is fucking fantastic. I, that's why I love Captain America. Um, he's not going to snot out of the, the Hydra soldiers. Um, so inside the base, Schmidt and Zola, they're manufacturing more of the weapons. They're, you know, now the, the, the mass manufacturing has begun. They've conquered the, the you know, they, they've controlled what they feel is controlled the power of the Tesseract. So now they can mass produce this shit and, and take over the world. And that's because that's what, you know, he wants. Schmidt wants. So um, Steve gets into the building. He finds his way to the holding cells. And he, there's hundreds of guys there, or a hundred guys anyway, from the 107th. Um, we see some of the, the stalwarts from the crew that we're, we're going to learn and, you know, come to know. Um you're gonna have to help me with those names. Oh, absolutely, know? man! Yeah. All right. The most but, exciting one, Dumb yeah. Dumb Dugan. <laughs> yes, Dumb Dumb. Yeah, Dumb Dumb Dugan is the best. Um, it, it's really cool. So and uh, yeah, so he gets them out of the cells. Um, he asks about Bucky, and the guys tell him that Bucky is probably alive. They got him somewhere else. For whatever reason, he was picked. Maybe because he's a sergeant or whatever. Um, so. This group is called the Howling Commandos, which is a great fucking name. Like, that name is so cool. 
you know <laughs> it's iconic within the marvel universe now was that part of the comics eric 100 percent. yeah okay perfect howling commandos and in fact nick fury was associated with the howling commandos oh okay that's cool to know um so yeah that's that that's their moniker uh they start beating the shit out of the guards taking their friggin you know power weapons and um dum dum gets a hold of a tank it's so great um he starts blasting the whole compound with a tank as they escape um a lot of soldiers are lost. It's it, it's it's a it's a bloody battle, or actually bloodless, because the the, uh, <laughs> the U.S. soldiers are disappearing. But it's awful. A lot of them, a lot of them take hits. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Jack Black is one of them. He's gone. Um, yeah. So <laughs> we see Schmidt watching Steve on the CCTV, and he immediately knows that Steve is the super soldier. Because of, of how badly he's beating the piss out of all the, the, the Hydra soldiers. Um, so he knows that Erskine succeeded. And uh, he knows he's got to keep a special eye on and take care of Steve as quickly as he can. Um, he decides at this point they need to abandon the base. Um, so he sets some charges. Um, Steve keeps making his way through the facility. And he finally finds Bucky, who's on a table. He's like half out of it. Um, you know, and he's been tortured. So... Steve notices a tactical map mounted on the wall and with various marked installations. So he, he remembers where these installations are, which help them going forward. Uh, he frees Bucky, <laughs> who's, you know, obviously surprised at Steve's size change. <laughs> He's very large. Um, and they head out. Um, they get on the catwalks, and they find themselves face-to-face -face with Schmidt uh, on a retractable bridge. Um, Rogers punches Schmidt, but he, Schmidt, you know, Redskull surprises Steve because Steve thinks he's the only one. And, you know, Schmidt gives him a good shot in the jaw and it, it catches him off guard. Um, so, you know, this is where he peels his face. No, yeah, no, it right. isn't. He has, yeah, at the end he peels his face. Exactly. So um, Zola presses a button and separates the bridge because it's all about self-preservation for him. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to project protect schmidt but he he wants out of this so he separates the bridge they sort of have a you know a shouting pissing contest across the the gap between the bridges um zola and and the red skull head up an elevator um they get to the top and they you know uh zola looks at the at the sort of the rocket plane and goes where's the room for me <laughs> and schmidt gives him the keys to the car and says though not a scratch <laughs> so he's on his own um yeah I feel like Zola could play a pretty good penguin also. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and you know what? Toby Jones is an actor who's versatile enough. He's played a bunch of different people. He's British. Yeah. He's so good. So good. Um, so, uh, all right. Red Skull escapes. Uh, Steve and Bucky have to cross this huge gap to escape. And, uh, you know, they get across it and they get out because um, Steve can, you know, jump and do everything steve can do so they're now back at the 107th camp um phillips is he's writing more condolence letters to people um just as you know and again he's already he's pissed off that rogers he's planning on fucking stringing him up for for stealing the shit he's berating peggy carter he wants her ass in a sling as well because you know she's causing a loss of life and everything according to him and even Stark. He's going to fucking get rid of Stark if he can and punish him. Um, 
Phillips doesn't want to hear any of it. Peggy's trying to calm him down. Just as that happens, um, all the rescued soldiers and Steve show up at camp. Um, he's instantly the hero, rightfully so. He's rescued all these soldiers, brought back information, um, and he's finally, he's finally endeared himself to Phillips. <laughs> it took all this shit to, to finally have Phillips say, you know, in, in, in his head, say, go Captain America. Um, and they're thrilled. So, you know, news of the success on the battlefield, it's covering the world. Everybody's thrilled that we got a shot now. Um, he's supposed to get a, a medal at Congress, but he doesn't even show up. Um, he is um, in London with Phillips and Peggy, giving all the detail he can remember from the raid with the maps and, and everything, you know, marking where they are because they need to figure out where they're going. Um, and actually, it's, I think it's my mistake that the base they were at wasn't the one in the Alps, right? Because that's the one they end up going to. Yeah. Right. So that's the secret base that no one knows about, but they figure it out. Um, so Steve talks about recruiting a team, um, and, he, and this is where the real Howling Commandos are created. They're in the bar, um, and, they're, and Steve asked them all, the main characters, um, they, you know, that they want to team up and, and make this crew that's going to kick some Hydra ass. So it's Dum Dum. And go ahead, Eric, lay it out. Oh, you got Dum Dum Dugan, Dugan with his, yeah, dumb, with dumb his Dugan. awesome bowler hat. You got Gabe yes. Jones. Big mustache, yeah. Uh, you got Jim Marita and uh, James uh, Fallsworth. And yeah. then uh, Jacques. Jacques yes, the Denier. French guy. The French guy. Yeah. And it's really cool what they did with, with Marita. And, oh, God, I feel bad I can't remember the actor's name. But he shows up in Spider-Man as, like, the grandson of... <laughs> Of of Marita, the the Howling Commando, and it's really it's the same actor. So I, I I love that that they brought him back, brought the actor back, and tied it just so neatly. You know, I I, I really appreciated that. So it all fits together, man. It's like they know what they're right. doing over there. I know yeah. it's scary, and this is where it really like the first few movies we talked about. Th there were hints, but this is yeah. where it really starts to become obvious that they got a fucking plan for the whole, you know, MCU universe, and it's really oh, yes. cool. Um, so everybody's there. They're drinking in the bar, and Peggy shows up. Uh, she's looking good, definitely. Steve, uh, she ignores all the men, and she goes right and flirts with Steve. Um, they talk about dancing. Steve mentions that he's never danced, uh, so she'd have to teach him. He's worried about stepping on her toes and shit, and that they, someday they will uh, get together and dance. Uh, Steve is now back in the U.S. They, he's summoned to the, the bunker in Brooklyn, and he sees Stark and Phillips. Um, they, as he's waiting to get to them, there's a female officer uh, sitting at the desk, sort of the secretary. Yeah, she there sees, is. What's that? Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. You know and who that from, is, right? Yeah, she's from Game of Thrones. Yeah, and, Natalie Dormer. Yeah, Natalie Dormer. That's true. But she was, that was Natalie before she was Natalie. Like, yeah. She was yeah. not known. Um, so uh, she, uh, she's immediately attracted to him because she knows who he is. And, you know, she... <laughs> she throws herself at him and starts to kiss him just as Peggy walks up. <laughs> yeah, Which, that's one of the ones on my list. <laughs> oh, I get it. I'm with you there. I'm with you. I'm with you. So uh, Peggy sees him, and she's not happy. Steve tries to apologize and explain it's not what you think. The famous fucking line that never works. It's not what you think. Yeah, it is, even though you didn't initiate. Um, so... <laughs> 
Um, Steve is at, Steve then calls her out, thinking she's got a relationship with Howard, and uh, that pisses her off even more. But then Howard straightens Steve out and says, "No, there's no relationship. Would you fucking relax?" Um, so he's showing um, Howard showing Steve some of the technology, and Steve immediately hones in on what we come to know and love as the Captain America shield. It's not decorated at this point. It's it's just basically you know unpainted metal um he grabs it and asks what's that and and howard explains that it's it's from a an alloy called vibranium so you know anything that hits it the shield does not vibrate it absorbs all the energy in the shield and actually makes the shield more powerful right eric like for a time yeah it, it you know vibranium in the comics just defies physics in in really right. cool ways so. i thought vibranium didn't exist it was made up for the mcu no, because they no. couldn't use adamantium because that was owned by the other. No, vibranium exists in the comics. It's it's it was Wakanda's natural resource in the comics. Right, it's sort of. Well, I where all their was, technology derived, or maybe from. Captain America's shield wasn't made of vibranium. There was some kind of like thing because they couldn't use what it was actually made of because of the fact that it was owned by a different entity. So they used vibranium instead. No, not for the shield. The shield was always vibranium. Maybe there's something else I'm thinking of later on. But I remember there was like a whole thing about they couldn't use the word adamantium because it was owned by Fox. They, yeah. I wonder if they wanted to use that terminology for something else and they just, they got, you know, the stop sign put up like, hey, fuck you, man. That's our thing. <laughs> but yeah, it was always, it was always vibranium. Okay. But, yeah. So uh, Steve straps on the shield again, sans paint job and star at this point. And he asked Peggy for her opinion, and she's still very pissed at him. And luckily, the, the shield lives up to its its billing because she just grabs a forty five off a table and shoots it at Steve. And the bullets bounce. They hit and bounce harmlessly to the ground. Again, the, vi- the vibrations are absorbed by the shield, so they don't even ricochet. Uh, there's little scorch marks, but Steve is protected, and the shield lives up to its billing, uh, which is great. So... Um, she walks off, uh, and Steve, you know, he he passes a sketch uh, for a uniform he wants Stark to design. So, um, you know, he's dressed in red, white, and blue fatigues at this point. Um, he's got a form-fitting helmet, and he stores his now-painted shield, the iconic shield that we, we know and love at this point. Uh, he's got a, you know, mechanism on his back to clip it to his back. Uh, so... He and the rest of the Howling Commandos, including Bucky, are ready to go back to Europe and start beating some Hydra ass. Uh, we get a montage of the team hitting various Hydra bases and basically train wrecking them. Um, he's, he's cutting through like butter. Uh, and, and the rest of the team, you know, they're, they're, they're keeping up in, the, in their way. They are a talented group of guys, and, and they lay out these Hydra soldiers uh, pretty easily. Um, Red Skull is fucking pissed, of course. Um, he's, uh, he, he calls Steve a, uh, the simpleton with a shield. He has no respect for him. Um, and he murders the last guy that's alive in one of the, in one of the bunkers just cause he's pissed and he's evil. So they finally find the secret hideaway in the Alps and their mission now is to capture Zola because he's the key to slowing down Red Skull. Um, they get in there, so it's Cap, Bucky, and, and Gabe Jones. Uh, they zip line across the chasm, 
and storm. There's a train, actually. They're not even at the base yet. They storm a train, car by car. Um, Cap and Bucky get separated. There's a big, gigantic armored dude with flames that sort of keeps, you know, Captain America at bay. While Bucky's stuck in the next car, uh, fighting a bunch of soldiers with automatic weapons and and the the power weapons as well. Um, it's here where. You know, they defeat the soldiers, but Bucky at this point is tossed out of the train when they're over a ravine. And he just plummets like hundreds and hundreds of feet, and he's gone. Um, Steve's devastated because his best friend died. Um, they do capture Zola. Um, the next scene, Zola's in the prison cell. He's talked he, He's talked to by, He's visited by Captain uh, Colonel Phillips. <laughs> It's a cool exchange. He brings him a steak. Zola's not hungry, so he sits down and eats it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. You know, he starts talking to Zola about what's going to happen. Um, you know, he sent a message out that's very easily decipherable, you know, saying Zola's turned, basically, uh, which is going to put him on Hydra's shit list. Uh, so that makes, that helps Zola, um, you know, entices him to make a deal to, to maintain his, uh, you know, his life <laughs> so that he doesn't get it. Um, they, uh, all right, here we go. Zola, um, you know, he, again, he fears for his life. So he gives the location of the Hydra base in the Alps to, uh, the final base to Phillips. So, um, Rogers is devastated by Bucky's death. So he's in a bar trying to drink himself silly. Um, Peggy shows up and she tries to comfort him, um, and he realizes that Erskine serum, you know, rapidly regrows, you know, it, it's a healing serum as well. So he, he, you know, it makes, he basically can't get drunk from it because the serum counteracts the effects of the alcohol and it pisses him off. Um, but they flirt some more. They talk more about having that dance, but they never get to it. Um, he's working with the Howling Commandos now. Uh, they prepare a plan to take down Red Skull, you know, at this secret base. He's now he's got the uniform that he asked uh, Howard to design for him. He gets on his motorcycle and they storm the base. Um, great scene with that motorcycle. I love it. Uh, I love the way they do that. Um, that's sort of a is that a signature for for Captain America in the comics as well? Like the yeah, motorcycle, the, uh, the Harley yeah. with the yeah, shield yeah. on the front. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. That's cool. I love the way they do that. It's a great shot. Um, very cool. So uh, he. Now he, he goes in and fights. He beats the shit out of a bunch of people, but then he's surrounded um, by the flamethrowing gigantic armored guys and then the regular soldiers with the power weapons. Um, he's brought uh, into to Red Skull's private lab where, uh, you know, he wants to... Red Skull wants to know what makes him so fucking special. He's pissed off that he didn't get everything that Steve got from this thing. And, you know, Steve's comment is another... You know, pretty iconic line. He, you know, he asked him, what makes you so special? And Steve's response is, nothing. I'm just a kid from Brooklyn. Mm. And that comes up time and time again because that's what Steve thinks of himself. It's, it's, that's what, he is a kid from Brooklyn who's just doing the right thing for the right reasons, you know. Um, and that demonstrates, you know, Erskine's trust in him in that that feeling is going to grow with the super serum. It's just going to amplify itself, and he's just going to become even a better person. You know, yeah. 
We now get to the, the, the basically climactic firefight. There's hundreds of soldiers. They're shooting. Uh, they, they're storming. You know, Phillips is leading the charge with Carter. They're storming the base. They're wrecking the Hydra soldiers. Red Skull is trying to get out at this point because uh, he's, he's got an ultimate plan. He runs to his private hangar, which houses his, you know, the flying wing that we now, you know, will soon learn how that ties to the beginning of the film. Uh, it's powered by the Tesseract. Uh, he's preparing to take off. Steve tries to catch up with him on foot, but it doesn't work. Uh, Phillips and Carter show up in a in a in the the vehicle that Zola escaped from the beginning, the fucking rocket vehicle that that Red Skull has. Um, they take off behind the plane. Um, he they they got to use the 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 friggin' nitro <laughs> at one point yeah. to catch up with the train with the plane, but they do. They're under the plane. Uh, Steve's going to jump on the, the landing gear to get in the plane. And he, he and Peggy finally kiss. Uh, it's a cool moment, you know, like, because the love is there at this point. And, you know, regardless of each other's fate, they at least got to kiss. Um, so he gets into the wheel well and he's on the plane. Um, he notices immediately in, in, the, uh, in the plane that there are... These, these planes, these like kamikaze planes that labeled with American cities, Chicago, New York, and there's two or three of them. He only destroys two of them. Yeah, that's because the big plane itself is the third bomb. Yeah. yeah. Right? So, there, you know, there's a, there's a battle that ensues between the, the Hydra soldiers and Steve with Steve trying to stop this. He, he, he destroys the first one pretty easily. He uses a shield, I believe, to hit the hit the release and the plane falls harmlessly out of the bay and, you know, tumbles and probably, you know, lands in the ocean or wherever. Um, the second one manages to take off, but he jumps out with one of the soldiers and they both land on the plane as it's flying. He beats the, well, the, the, the pilot is controlling the plane and he's, you know, he's doing maneuvers to try to get them off the plane and he pulls the stick back and the, the hydro soldier goes through the propeller, which is in the back. It's <laughs> It's gruesome, but cool. I like it, you know. Um, Steve manages to wrestle that plane, uh, wrestle a pilot out of the plane. He pulls the ejection seat. Pilot flies out. He dives in, and he flies the plane back to uh, Red Skull's gigantic wing and, you know, lands in the, in the landing bay. Uh, so he's back on board. Um, so he – then it's the final confrontation with, with, with Red Skull. Um, this is where, again, it wasn't that significant at the end when they fight each other. It wasn't that significant at the time, but where Red Skull ends up <laughs> becomes yeah. very significant. And again, it, it demonstrates the frigging beautiful intent from the beginning to set these things up, and you know, we'll talk about it. Um, so they're fighting and everything, and, and at one point Steve throws the shield, and he hits the, the housing for the Tesseract which creates this like crazy energy overload and Red Skull is standing next to it and he grabs the Tesseract. He doesn't even know what's going to happen, but it, the Tesseract opens basically a freaking wormhole into the cosmos, into space. And, um, you see the, you see a galaxy in the distance and the big cloud and everything. And he gets sucked up into this stream that that's going up into space and disappears. Um, and the Tesseract falls to the ground in the plane. Um, 
it immediately burns itself through the ship from deck to deck to deck. It's sort of like got alien blood. (laughs) (laughs) And it falls out and lands somewhere, which again will be addressed in later movies. Um, So Steve has to take control of the plane, but it's, it's, it's the plane is damaged. There's nothing he can do. He's got to get it out of commission before it hits the city and blows everything up. So he and Peggy start a radio conversation where he's got to break it to her as gently as possible that his only choice is to ditch the plane um, so it falls short of its target. And it's a heartfelt moment. They have a conversation back and forth. Um, and, you know, it, it, it ends with him um, getting, you know, wrestling control of the plane and diving it into we're we're back at the beginning of the film now somewhere up north the maps sort of show me it's it's canada it looks like kind of really northern canada but wherever it's up in the arctic circle um the plane crashes into the into the ice and we see it broken into pieces as the camera pans and then we also see it start to like fall below the ice um to basically end up where we find it in present day at the beginning of the movie so all we know at this point is that, you know, Steve died in the crash, presumably, um, and they're going to find possibly his remains back in the present day. Um, we fade to black, but immediately open up on a scene of Steve in a recovery room in what looks like 1940s New York. Um, there's a baseball game on the radio. Steve sort of wakes up, um, and a nurse comes in and asks him how he's doing because he's awake finally and he's immediately suspicious he realizes that the game that's on the radio happened like four years before in his life or three years before and he was at that game so he knows this is a sham um the nurse tries to calm him down but he's not having it um a couple of soldiers come in and the next scene the two of them are exiting through the wall (laughs) you know because steve is confused and pissed and that's not a good combination for anybody um I, it's fantastic the way he, he gets out of the building. He blows past everybody in this building and he exits out into modern day New York, Times Square. Mm. You know, yeah. and he's completely confused by this. He's running in Times Square. And it's so cool because this movie came out in 2011. Times Square doesn't even look like that anymore <laughs> <laughs> because there's no cars in Times Square anymore. There's a big freaking play, you know, a big like stadium seating in one part. That's all closed off to, to cars, it's pedestrian only. So. It has the same look as Times Square, but even that's changed since that mo- the, this movie came out. Yeah. Um, a bunch of what we will come to know as S.H.I.E.L.D. cars pull up and block his path. And we see Nick Fury, Sam Jackson. He gets out of the car and he, he, he almost immediately calls, calms Steve down. Like he has a very calming effect when he wants to. Uh, you know, and he starts explaining to Steve what happens is that they found him. He had been asleep in the ice at the plane crash for almost 70 years. Um, he made it, of course, because of his super soldier status and his body. His body con- constantly regenerates, so he never dies. He just is basically suspended animation. Um, Steve is still confused. Um, and we close. It's really sad because he says, oh, I missed a date. You know, he, he had it in his head that he and Peggy were going to have that date with the dance. And, he knows that's long past possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we do have our, our you know, typical 
post credit scene at the end. Um, Steve's in a gym, and he's hitting the heavy bag, and, you know, finally when he lets loose, he knocks it off its chain and sends it across the room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Nick Fury enters, and, you know, if he asks Steve if he's having trouble sleeping. You know, Steve, Steve asks cynically, you know, if Fury has come to him with another mission. And he replies in the affirmative. So I don't remember because in, in the version I watched on Disney Plus today, it transitions from the mission, him asking about the mission, to the trailer for Avengers. Did that happen yeah. in theaters too? Mm-hmm. Okay, no, no, bom, I just want to... Right. Bom, 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 bom. Because I, I, I do remember the, the complete and utter, like, Girl at a Beatles concert, Beatles concert <laughs> thrill when that fucking came up. Because at that point, we were only a year away from the Avengers. Yeah. And it showed a lot of cool scenes from, from that movie. And that's it. That's the, that's the episode. That's, uh, that's the movie, Captain America. Yeah, they pulled out that big old Marvel dick at the end. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- uh, I gotta, uh, yeah. I, I, I still feel that excitement, man. Even being yes. 500 movies deep into this thing. Like, that was the crest of, like, holy shit. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, yeah, again, I remember the excitement in the theater, sitting and seeing that. And that was going to be our first culmination of everything they put together in phase one. And none of us could wait. We were all out of our minds excited for it. So, and, yeah, I mean, you know, the movie for me, again, it, it, it suffers a bit from the from the origin story, but not that much. I rewatched it today, and I, I it's better to me than – the ratings that it gets in general, um, you know, but I, I dug it. I absolutely dug it. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of these, I don't, it, it benefits from everything that came after. So there is that element to it is like, you go back and watch the origin movies for Iron Man and Captain America and Thor and the seeds that they plant that pay off so beautifully later on. Yes just make it a better movie you know retroactively yeah it's a really weird phenomenon like if no, this was is. the last captain america movie you saw i feel like you could grade it harsher because it's like oh yeah right. it does the origin stuff and you know yeah, it exactly. takes a long time to get into the suit and all that you know the typical um first yeah. time movie stuff but right right but yeah having having all of that groundwork laid and then everything you get you look back on this you're like yeah yeah, yeah that's, that's perfect yep yep so we want to do our ratings boys yeah so these are ratings. yeah these are our marvel ratings which are different than the regular ratings because we're rating each marvel movie based on the other marvel movies so the numbers a low number doesn't necessarily mean we hated it because we love them all but as far as it against other marvel movies it, it falls below uh, not not necessarily this one, but that's how we're looking at it. So, yeah. um, I'll go first just to wrap it up. Again, this is for me. I mean, Captain America is my favorite. So overall, it, it doesn't come close to my rating for Iron Man, but it's the highest rated of the movies we've done so far. So I'm going to throw it a three point two. Very nice. Yeah. Three point. Yeah, three point two sounds about where I'm living on this one. Um, yeah. the special effects are great uh, yep. the casting is great it does suffer from like I said that 
hurry up and do the thing that I want yeah. you to do. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm I'm right around there. I would say, right. I would I would say I give maybe a three point three just for okay. Peggy, Peggy grabbing a titty. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> right. I get it. Um, I get it. I'm I'm with you guys. It's it's a good movie. It's I feel like it feels like three separate movies at some point though. Like it, yes, like there's just. I think they could have like condensed some of it down into two acts and it would have like, well, not really two acts, but the intro and then like the, instead of like three separate scenes of him, like, you know, doing something that involved, you know, going to a place to save something. They could have made that maybe into two and like, yeah, I'd have been cool with that too. Um, I'm going to go in the same range. I'll probably go with a 3.2 also. It, okay. it fits there. It, it's, yeah. it's a good score for it. It's yeah. nothing that's going to blow you away, but it's nothing that you'd want to miss. No, exactly. And I, I agree with you, Joe. I mean, that, that's definitely the origin story thing. They could have they found a way to cut down the whole part of demonstrating Steve's insignificance to the war effort with the USO stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't exceptionally long, but they, they could have done – they could have written something a little differently. Well, I enjoyed like that. that scene too, but like – the yeah. first scene of Red Skull getting away. Then the second scene of right. him going to get Zola. Then the third scene of Red Skull getting away. Then the fourth scene of him right. in the airplanes. I'm like, we get it. Just yeah. just get to the fucking point already. Yep. <laughs> I mean, they allude to the fact that he's he's fighting with the Howling Commandos for like a couple of years, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. Do. Yep. So, I mean, I just feel like it could have been tighter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a lot of things they could have changed. I agree. Um, so but, it's still a good movie. I mean, it's not lower half. It's definitely like, I don't know what's hard to say. Cause there's so many fucking movies in this thing that could be right? anyway. And, and then we're getting some really good ones coming up. Yep. I mean, like there's just some that are just so fucking good that like, I wouldn't feel right giving this anything higher because like, it just isn't going to compare to those. Yeah. Well, I and, mean, Marvel... and other ones are captain America movies are going to get higher. Like oh, winter soldiers going to get like way the fuck higher oh, civil war. Yeah. He's like in Civil War, exactly. Yeah, um, I mean, like, I can't give this one any higher just because those are going to be so much higher. Right. No, I mean, you could see that Marvel was learning. They were still finding yeah. their footing, even with this one, but they they started to hit their stride. But, yeah, when we get into Phase 2 and beyond, they, 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 I mean, they're the masters at that point. Like, they know yeah. what they're doing. They've got it all calculated out down to the letter, and it shows in the quality of the movies, you know? Yeah, so. that's, that's the problem is, like, it's not that these aren't good. That's why I wanted to do this MCU scale, because it's not that they're not good. It's just comparative to the other right. MCU movies. Oh, it has to be done this way. Absolutely. They're not as good. Yeah. Well, I mean, that said, so far, this is our second highest rated Marvel movie. Of course, Iron Man is yeah. way above it. Um, yeah. But this is second on the list. So. But that yep. feels right, too, because... Yes. It does. I, I could, this, is, this, to me, is much more watchable than Iron Man 2 or Thor. Like, yeah. 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 And that's even me li- liking Thor as much as I do. <laughs> like... This is definitely more watchable than that. Yeah. Yep. So that's what we got. That's What's what the, we got. Uh, we're doing, what are we doing next? The next one will be the uh, first Avengers movie. Yeah. Whew. Yep. What a, what a ride, man. I remember yeah. everything about that in the theater. I remember my feelings and my emotions and everything with that movie. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one, definitely. I I, oh, yeah. I know I say this a lot about these movies, like n- just being in disbelief that they exist at all, <laughs> and sitting yeah. in the theater like, "What the fuck right. kind of world are we living in?" Where I'm watching <laughs> Captain America throw a shield, but right. when when Avengers, when we get to Avengers, that moment, even that yep. shot with all of them, and you know that famous yes. circular shot, yep. it's like I, I, you could kill me now, and I'd be okay. <laughs> yep. 
No, I, I get it. I get it. I'm with you. So, well, I think we're done. So, on that note, lights, camera, fuck off. Hey guys, we've got to that point in the show where we need to start depending on listeners like you to help keep this thing going. What are we, fucking PBS? Oh yeah, you know it. I'm LeVar Burton. I wanted to be LeVar. Fuck. All right. I caught it first. I'm hosting Jeopardy. (laughs) Are you though? Listen guys, we we need your help uh, to help keep the lights on as they say. Uh, We are launching our Patreon for Masters of the Cinematic Universe. Yes. Yes. And we have uh, different tiers that you can sign up for and pledge to, just like PBS. Um, you get some different real cool gifts and prizes and merch, uh, depending on the tier that you sign up for. Oh, we got all the tiers. Oh, yeah. You Back. can either be a friend it, of the show, a oh. friend with benefits. Ooh. We, just, we could start to get serious, or you could just put a ring on it already. Yeah. Oh, damn. And if you, uh, if you exceed that amount, uh, you know, we'll send you some... Not safe for work picks if, if you want. <laughs> it's not safe for your eyes picks in my case, but not safe for anything right. picks. Yeah. But yeah, guys, check out uh, patreon.com slash MOTCU. Uh, take a look at well, all the different tiers that we're offering. Lots of cool uh, swag coming your way from stickers to t shirts to getting to pick the film that we uh, talk about. Yeah. The tiers started at a dollar, a dollar a month. Come on, what? folks. That's it. Yep, one buck to get in on that on that number one tier. And All with right. that, you even get the live chat with us anytime you want, as well as a shout out on every episode. Right. So come on, that's less than a cup of coffee a month. Jesus, what a steal! Yeah, guys, right? check it out again. Patreon.com/slash/motcu. And then enjoy this week's movie.